Hello, Harvest Community Church. Wow. My name is Mike. I say that if you're a first-time visitor, wondering my name. There it is. Happy you're here, no matter which one of our campuses you're at. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You may have noticed that 1 Samuel is starting to run out of chapters. What are you going to do when it runs out of chapters? We're not going to jump right in to 2 Samuel. Instead, for the summer, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. The commandments we all think we know, but we never look at, so we'll look at them real close. But for now, we're still seeing David rise. He will end uh, the book, this is a spoiler alert, um, just at the time when he is ready to become king, but we don't get to see him rule until 2 Samuel, but we're in chapter 25. So if you'd open your Bible to 25, and before I get there, I, I want to give a commercial. I went to see the movie Unplanned this week, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm urging everyone to go. I don't normally urge people to go to a specific movie, even Christian movies, um, because a movie's a movie. Uh, this one, though, I think it, 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 it's the right message for the right time for this culture. I'm already very much what could be called pro-life. Um, that's really a political term, but very much in favor of God's view of humanity, of being made in the image of God as being valuable. Uh, nevertheless, the story uh, made it all the more real to me. Um, uh, so I'd urge you to go, if, if, uh, no matter what age you are, if you can get there, get there. Uh, little kids, no, I wouldn't say take little kids. But if you have teenagers, um, you want to get them there, because it, it helps to visualize and see what's happening. And uh, th- this is a fight we always want to fight. I don't think, uh, you, you will listen to people say these are the best time ever to be alive. Uh, the standard of living worldwide is higher than it's ever been. Poverty is lower than it's ever been worldwide. Starvation is lower than it's ever been worldwide. Um, really, health is better than it's ever been worldwide. Uh, and yet, w- worldwide, we kill 53 million humans on this planet a year and act like it's nothing. 53 million on this planet a year are killed in abortion. Um, and and it's, it's a great evil. You, you don't think of it as a great evil because you get so used to it being there. <laughs> but it, it, th- think about Americans who used to live with race-based slavery. What a great evil that was. You may wonder, how do they tolerate it? Well, when everyone says it's okay, even those who don't like it, you just kind of get used to it. And I think we're too used to abortion. We're just, it's too easy. So... I think this movie is a good vehicle. It's a way Americans communicate with one another. Uh, take a friend and have a conversation with them and go see it before it's out of the theater. Um, that ends my commercial for the sake of the unborn there. Um, 1 Samuel 25. I don't know if this is going to be a smooth segue. There's no segue from um, unplanned to 1 Samuel 25. Um, but here we go. The, the chapter starts out kind of odd. Look at it. Says, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, you were given the assignment, I don't know if you did it, in your community groups and on your map, if you didn't go to community group, to read this chapter in advance because it's so long, uh, it would literally take 15 minutes of the service to read. So we're not going to go through the whole thing even now. I'm just going to skip enough to tell the story. But we are going to start right at the beginning. And it starts with, now Samuel died. 
Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him in his house at Ramah. Um, obviously, the floor was a dirt floor. It was easier to bury him, I suppose. I don't know how that looked, but Samuel's dead. This is a big moment. The entire nation um, remembers his importance, he, how he moved their nation from the time where they had no king except God to now they have a king. He was the great man of God. But here's, here's the question we should think about uh, 3,000 years later um, is if he's dead, who wrote chapter 25 and 26 and, and, and 2 Samuel? Well, it's, it's a false assumption to think Samuel uh, wrote all of First and Second Samuel. In fact, First and Second Samuel used to be one book. This is trivial knowledge. It won't get you any points in heaven or anything, but if you're on Jeopardy, it might help. It used to be one book, just Samuel. And when the Jews, um, before Christ was born, decided they wanted a Greek Old Testament uh, or Greek Bible, for some reason, they, they divided it into two books. Um, and that's how we got First and Second Samuel. And no one knows why it was named Samuel. Some think he wrote the beginning, and that very well could be, because it goes way back to his own heritage. And then someone else finished it, and some think maybe he didn't write it at all. There are two prophets within the book of 1 Samuel, Nathan and Gad, who come up a lot and seem to know everything that's happening. Many believe that Nathan and Gad wrote the rest of 1 Samuel, and then, and then the rest of what we call 2 Samuel. Um, so there you go. If you were thrown off by the fact that the author died and the story goes on, that's your answer. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. You can look up all these places on your own if you want to see these travels. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. I, I guess that's part of being very rich. You've got a lot of sheep and a lot of goats. Sounds like a lot of trouble to me. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. I'll let you know, Abigail's going to be the hero of this story, and people are named Abigail today. Sometimes they go by Abby, sometimes Gail, sometimes the whole thing, Abigail. You know, nobody is named Nabal, and there's a reason. He's not the hero of the story. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. Sounds like a, a difficult marriage. He was a Calebite. Now, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. So it's a blessing. Um, by this time, by the way, David's a little bit famous, okay? He's famous Dave. There used to be a barbecue chain by that name. I don't know if anyone here ever heard of it, but there was. But he's famous in Israel because of killing Goliath and being a commander and, and all these things. And now he's roaming the wilderness with 600 men trying to keep Saul from killing him, but he sends a blessing. He's like, I mean you no harm, Nabal. Bless you, bless your house. Peace, shalom, 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 which is peace to you. Sorry, I can't search the web on Apple Watch. <laughs> Why? Why? Well, if it, if people at Apple, if you're listening to this sermon, that's good. Gosh. 
Sorry, I can't... Pre- just, what has she got to do with anything? I can't turn it off. I turn off my phone. I don't know how to turn off the watch. Just had to take it off. Back to where we were before we were rudely interrupted by Siri. So he's, he sends guys to rich Nabal, Nabal and, 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 and he says, I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. This is a very important thing. Armies march on their stomach. Fugitive armies have no supply line. They are going to have to go from place to place. Now, if you have 600 people, you can pretty much take anyone's food you want. But that's not the way David operates. He, he doesn't want to just steal people's things. So what he's saying to them is, your sh- shepherds have been out here where I am. You're up in Carmel shaving sheep or whatever you're into, but I'm down here with your guys. I could just eat their sheep if I want to. That's, that's what he's telling them. But we would never do that to you. We're good people, he's saying. And in fact, he says, they miss nothing all the time they're in Carmel. And then he says, ask them. Ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day, please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So this is uh, hospitality, famous um, in, the, in the ancient Near East. Um, th- this was not a weird request. This is the kind of request you would grant. What was Nabal's response? The very rich Nabal. His response is, is in verse 10, Who is David? He knows who he is. Who is the son of Jesse? Oh, you mean Jesse's kid. Those trailer trash people with just a few sheep, right? They're not like me, rich, with thousands of sheep. He's looking down on them. He says, there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. This this is old school way to slap an insult on somebody. It may not sound as devastating today, but there are many servants breaking away. He says, why are these little slave boys coming up thinking they're big shots, is what he's saying. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who've come from I don't know where? It's very much like Scrooge, right? Uh, when he, they came to him on Christmas Eve and says, uh, you're so blessed, Mr. Scrooge, what can we put you down for for the poor? And he goes, nothing, nothing, Christmas Eve, just another excuse for picking a man's pockets and that kind of thing. He's like, why should you take my wealth? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? And that's Nabal. He's, he's greedy. Greed is an ugly, ugly thing. You can be greedy and be, be a Christian and hide that. Right? You're just greedy. You don't share. You count everything. Well, that's Nabal. Don't be that. Don't be that. Now, how's David react? Well, when he gets word back that not only is he, his, first you got 600 dudes, but they're hungry. All right? This is like a Snickers commercial, right? <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry, right? <laughs> they're normally like, like Robin Hood's merry men dancing and singing in the field, but when they haven't eaten, they're like nasty Vikings. <laughs> they're, they're very... And David is cut to the quick. He's been insulted. He's, he, this is road rage moment. He, this is injustice. And he's been insulted. The guy pretty much said, um, you, you can take your, we didn't touch your sheep and shove it. Get off my land. Go away. And so David, <laughs> he's like, he's mad. 
He's mad. He's been wronged. He feels the insult, and he's ready to make things right. Now, enter Abigail. But one of the young men told Abigail, one of the young men who obviously had traveled, who knew David, who was one of the shepherds of Nabal, who didn't, no one beat him up and took his sheep. So he's kind of on David's, if your boss is an ogre, you know it. And this young man knows Nabal is an ogre, um, and he likes David. So he probably is thinking, (laughs) I need to save my skin here. So he goes to the true reasonable person in the marriage, right? Um, Some of you wonder why your kid always asks you and not the other one. It could be because you're a softy. But it also could be because you are the reasonable one. Who knows? You can decide for yourself. In this case, Abigail is the reasonable one. We're going to talk to uh, the lady of the house because the man of the house is, uh, is just awful. So he goes to Abigail and he says, listen. He doesn't say listen. He says, behold. We don't say behold. So I'd translate that if I were doing it. Listen. Um, but here it is. Behold. David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And our master railed at them. Yet... <laughs> The men, David's men, were very good to us. We didn't suffer any harm. We didn't miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. You know, they were good companions. In fact, they were security for the shepherds. No one else is going to jump those shepherds if David and his men are there to protect them. And David doesn't let folks mess with shepherds. That's his union, and he looks out for them, right? So, verse 16, they were a wall to us. Both night and by day. So this guy's saying, not only did they not harm us, we were so happy that they were sleeping nearby. So what did Abigail do? My unreasonable husband is going to get us all killed. Okay? So she springs into action. She, she pulls out 200 loaves of bread, and I'm sure it's fresh and good. Two large skins of wine, and I, don't, I didn't do research on this to see how large they were. I figured two large skins was sufficient for 600 people. So how can that be? These got to be like barrels, right? It's like kegs. She brought a couple of kegs with her. Five sheep and a bunch of other food. <laughs> and she sent it down to David's men so they could have a nice feast. So the food arrives. And then she follows. She's got a plan. She's not stupid. She's like, I could either go down there and talk some reason into this David so he doesn't kill us all, or I could feed him. And being a wise woman, she realizes if you feed these guys, they're going to be easier to deal with than if they're hungry. So she sends the food first. Then she comes, and when she gets there, David, whether he's eaten or not, is still fuming. And this is what he says This is David fuming. When she gets there, she hears, Surely in vain I've guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed and all that belonged to him. And he's returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. He's ticked. I'm David. God's on my side. I looked out for your stupid sheep. It's time for you to die. Well, Abigail sees this, and she falls down. Um, She's probably a dignified woman. Obviously, they have a lot of servants, which would be employees. Employees have to live with you when you're rich back then, because they can't drive in, can't commute. And uh, so she's respected by everybody, and she's beautiful. So what she do? She falls on the ground. Had to make an impact on him. And she's seeking a mind change. And listen to her argument. It's, it's really good. 
It's laid out really well. I don't know if it was spontaneous or if she thought it out, but here, here she goes. She says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. You gotta love that. <laughs> it's her husband. <laughs> what an argument. Let's start with the fact that my husband's an idiot, okay? Can we do that? That's where she starts. And then she says, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal means fool. All right, so Nabal is his name and folly is with him. And then she says, now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And she points to the dainties. See all the food? See the barrels of wine? Your guys are here. They could either strap on swords and fight or they could relax in the pasture, drink some wine and have a sandwich. What do you say? And then she says, and when the Lord has done to my Lord... And now she says, when the Lord, she's speaking Yahweh, Jehovah, God. When God has done to you, my Lord, I'm your servant, she's saying, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, everybody knows what Samuel said, then my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. Do you see her argument? It's beautiful. Abigail's awesome here. She, she's, you know, she's pretty and she's smart and she's faithful. Some women just get everything, I guess. That's the way it goes. She's the full package. But she, her argument is beautiful. She says, listen, you know God's gonna bless you, right? He promised. We all know it. We've all heard what Samuel said. You know you're gonna be king, right? We all know you're gonna be king. And when that happens, do you want your conscience to bother you because you went and killed a bunch of people who did you no wrong just because you're mad at my husband, my stupid husband, my foolish husband who's well-named? Do you want to sit there thinking about the guys you killed in your anger? And then she adds this. Do you also want to feel guilty for working your own salvation? Wow. Do you really want people to say, you took, or do you want people to say, God gave? And she knows. She's a faithful woman. David's obviously a faithful man. She's appealing to him well. He doesn't want to steal the glory from God. A quick note. This is not the central point. Just a quick throw in here. We must remain faithful while living under the authority of disobedient persons. Um, and, and here I'm just throwing a little love to Abigail. When I looked at this, I thought I could preach three sermons on Abigail because it's just she's awesome in this in many ways. But I'll just give you one little crumb here from a, very, from a big banquet table. Um, she's living with a disobedient person, but she doesn't, she doesn't become disobedient. She doesn't become stupid like her husband. She, she finds a faithful way. And um, we live in a faithless world filled with faithless people we need to be like Abigail, still faithful to a God, our God, not thinking the whole world now allows us to break the rules. Anyway, that's a side note, but I think I want to point it out. Let's move back in. Verse 32, David's reaction. He said to Abigail, and, and now he's complete. It worked. It worked. His heart has changed. He's seeing reason. He's cooled off. He's thought it through. This woman is speaking sense, and he says this to Abigail. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you. This day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt 
and from working salvation. Thank you. Thank you for stopping me from doing a stupid thing. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning, there would have been not left to Nabal so much as one male. He's saying, you did not waste your time, lady. I was ready. We were heated up. It was time to go kill us some Nabal and all his men. And, And you didn't waste your time. And then David received from her hand what she brought them. And then he said to her, He even treated her with great honor. He said, go up in peace to your house. See that I have obeyed your voice and I've granted your petition. So she received the food and and she rescued her whole household. He said, go home. Just go home. Be blessed. And if it ended there, that's really terrific. When you think about it, he didn't just take her food. He took her advice, which was better than the food. And then Abigail saved David from being like Doeg. Remember him? For those of you who've been... If you're a first-time visitor, maybe you don't, but for those of you who do, remember the guy who killed all the, uh, the, uh, the priests for Saul? Remember that? And then he went and killed everyone in their hometown? Well, David was about to kind of repeat that. There, there is some difference, but it's kind of like that. So then what happens is Abigail goes home, but she's smart. She doesn't just tell her husband. In fact, it's a feast day, so he's partying. She's like, I'm not going to tell him that he almost died on feast day. Let him party. She, she gets to him the next day. He's kind of in a decent mood. And she says, oh, by the way, I saved you yesterday or recently or whenever. I don't know if a few days went by. I saved you. Do you know what you almost did to this family? Nabal was, was scared. And 10 days later, God whacked him. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Ten days, he got ten days of being scared and then God whacked him. It, didn't, it doesn't end well for Nabal. And, uh, and so then somebody runs and tells David, you know that guy Nabal? What, God whacked him? And, and, and you know what David thinks of? <laughs> exactly. Um, for those of you who are, couldn't, didn't hear or in another campus, somebody whistled. He thought of how pretty that Abigail was. And guess what? Now she's single. Um, says, first thing, verse 39, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who's avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. I didn't do it, but God did. And he has kept back his servant from wrongdoing, and he kept me from sin. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. He learned, again, for our map, before we get to our, our two lessons, uh, God will fight our battles if we'll behave obediently. It's so important to remember that. God does fight our battles in his time. And normally it's not 10 days later your enemy just dies. Unless you're King David. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have your back if you act faithfully. If I had time I could tell you some stories in my life. But I won't. Um, Maybe you have stories in your life where instead of you taking action in your anger. You pulled back and then God brought justice in his own way. But God does do that. He will fight our battles if we will obey him. So then David, I'm not going to read any more of the story, but he does propose to Abigail, um, will you marry me? Uh, you say, doesn't he have a wife named Michael? Things get really weird with kings and their wives. Saul took Michael back from him and gave her to another man. Now, in, in, in future scenes, <laughs> She's going to come back to David. I don't know how that works. 
And David will collect a few other wives. Never a good idea, but he did it. But at this point, he's kind of free. And so he goes after Abigail. And Abigail says, yes, I will come be with you. And they're married. So David gets the girl. The girl gets the king. And that's the end of that episode. I'm telling you. Netflix doesn't know what they're missing by not making a series out of this. So two important lessons from the story then before we close. One, this one hits me hard. Being right is not an excuse for acting wrongly. (laughs) Being right is not an excuse for being a jerk. Being right is not an excuse for letting anger rule your life. If we all could remember this, it would stop fights between siblings, fights between married couples, fights between parents and their children, fights between nations. There'd be just peace on earth, I think. Because if you ever fought harder than when you're right, and then you're such a jerk, the other party thinks, well, now I'm right because you're a jerk. (laughs) It just escalates. David had been insulted. He had done Nabal a solid, took care of Nabal's wealth. He, and then he blessed him as the king to be, and he just asked for food, a normal thing to ask in that culture. David was behaving uprightly. Nabal was, look, the angry retaliation in life is often worse than the original injustice, correct? Correct? This is going to apply to all of us because every one of us is treated unjustly sometimes in small things or big things, right? Road rage, where sometimes people will pull another person over and beat them up or kill them. Okay, let's say she shouldn't have cut you off. (laughs) Can we still do the math on this? You know, um, somebody sleeps around on their lover and the next thing you know, Two feet, they come a, a walking, right? I mean, I <laughs> uh, was a, sorry. I had a, led, or a, a Leonard Skinner moment there. You have people dead. People will shoot each other because they've been wronged. Um, Shakespeare said, "Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned." Hell hath no fury. I'd say like anybody scorned, anyone scorned. Look at toddlers. You don't mess with a toddler if you're a toddler. Because you can walk up to a toddler if you're a toddler and say, I want that. Turn around and walk away. Other toddler will get a truck, walk up behind you and go, bonk, knock you on the head before a mom can get to him. Happens all the time. This is such a good lesson for me. <laughs> for all of us, when we're right, when someone's wronged us, it's not, that's it. <laughs> that's the last straw, bucko. someone in the front row says is he talking to me yes I'm talking to all of us we're all uh, you know what uh, the ugly state of our current political cultural divide is kind of like this and and I think there's people pulling strings to try to get us to fight and hate each other I really do it's a little conspiratorial of me and paranoid but I do but if you look at it both sides think they're right and very often Members of either side will think because they're right, they have an excuse to do anything they want to the other side. And so they hate on each other. Hate, 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 hate. But instead of doing that, let's be like Abigail. 
Um, <laughs> Abigail thought this through. Um, no matter how morally right I am, no matter how evil my opponent is, this is how I need to think. I'm not to respond sinfully. I don't have a right. Even if that person's winning the fight because I won't play by the same dirty rules. I mean, what if, what if Abigail wasn't there and David still behaved? That would have meant David would have to go, boys, guess what? We're going hungry. And they'd be like, we got to eat that sheep. We're taking, no, we're not taking the sheep. And if Abigail hadn't been there, that would have been what David should have done. That's, that's not easy. When the bad guy's winning, it's hard to let it go. It's easier to say, okay, that's it. We're fighting now. But it's unwise. It's stupid. Abigail saw the stupidity of it and explained it to another person. She says, let me explain this to you, Dave. Why it's not in your best interest to kill all the men in my household. <laughs> second lesson. That one's enough for me, by the way. That's life-changing for me. But second is blessed are the peacemakers. Let's be blessed then. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you want to be blessed? I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. And I don't mean sneeze blessed. If you ever want someone to pray for you, don't ask, just sneeze. Somebody will pray for you. It always works, right? You, you'll be walking in a store and you sneeze and someone three hours over goes, bless you. You're like, hey, it's cool. They're praying for me. All I did was sneeze. Well, you know, we have a whole society trained like Pavlovian dogs to bless one another you know, enemies will bless each other if they sneeze. I don't know why. You sneeze. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. I try to make big blessings. If you sneeze, I try to make it last. May the Lord of glory forever bless you and your household for expectorating out of your face. <laughs> but that blessing doesn't really count. I want a real blessing. I want God to really shine his face on me. Don't you? I really want his favor on me every day. Well, he says, I'll give it to you if you're a peacemaker. He's pretty much saying, I bless Abigail. I bless the Abigails of the world. I, I, she's the one I bless. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Blessed is the one who when they see someone about to lose their stuff, gives a soft answer instead of harsh because you just made peace God is concerned with peace between man and man now I'm using that in the old fashioned way when man could mean woman, boy or girl so now in the new way God is concerned with peace between man and man and man and woman and woman and woman and woman and man and man and woman and woman and boy and boy and girl and girl and boy he's if you're human it also says this is such a great verse, James 1.20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you want to know how you're about to not be a peacemaker? You're about to let your anger guide your tongue, your fists, your decisions, your plans. You're about to blow it. Because the anger of man is not righteous. Right? It, the, man doesn't make righteous decisions when angry. Sometimes a guy's so right and the other guy's so wrong, and you say to the guy, Look, the anger of man does not, I don't have my rage. I have the anger of the Holy Spirit in me. Like Jesus, you're not Jesus. These aren't the money changers. You, you know, Jesus' anger is perfect. God's anger is perfect. 
and always justified. And when he brings wrath, it's always exactly what's needed in the moment. It's much different than our wrath. I mean, heck, God didn't kill all the people. He just knocked off Nabal and gave David a wife. Obviously, he knows how much wrath is needed. David was going to kill everybody. But Abigail, she acted quickly to, to diffuse the anger of a good man. It can be really hard to talk a bad man or a bad woman by people who are, who are motivated not by God or goodness, but just by only self-interest. It can be hard to turn them away from their evil. But a, a faithful man or woman normally wants someone to pre- speak reason to them. And Abigail intervened, and had she not, it would have been a, a bad story. Why is it so important that you intervene? So you're, gonna, you're now the intervener. Most people don't want to intervene. Well, who am I? I didn't want to tell. Who am I to judge? I don't want to. Bunch of cowards. Jump in there and talk some sense into somebody so they stop. Why is that so important? Because it proves who your spiritual parent are. Did you know you have spiritual parents as well as physical? You have physical parents. And we should always respect them. We'll get to that in the summer when we get to the honor your father and mother. Even if they were awful, you, without them, there's no you. But you have spiritual parents. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. That's what the Bible teaches. You might, don't have to like it. Well, how do you prove who your spiritual parents are? Well, who do you behave like? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children or sons of God. And their sons means the children of God, but it is correctly translated sons. It's a masculine word, and they had no problem with masculinity back then. I don't know why we do today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. So here's Abigail. (laughs) She's a daughter of God. She showed her spiritual parentage right there. Now, of course, Jesus is the greatest peacemaker of all. Because he saw two parties fighting, but they weren't human parties. This is the, I know it's Easter time, but this is the Christmas message where, where the angel says he comes to make peace on earth. But it's, it's not peace like stopping war, stopping you from killing Abigail, stopping David from killing Nabal. No, this is a different kind of war. He saw human beings at war with God. Who's going to win that fight? If it comes to it, God wins. (laughs) Who's right and who's wrong? It's always God right, human beings wrong. We're the sinners, he's God. And if if we actually get to the fist fight, (laughs) you can't lay a glove on him, you can't shoot him with a bullet, and he can drop you into the punishment you deserve for your unholiness compared to him. And Jesus saw that fight And Jesus, like his daughter Abigail, says, I'm going to jump in here. (laughs) I'm going to jump in here between God and mankind. I'm going to make peace. But he doesn't send food to God because God's not a man that needs to eat. And God also doesn't need sense talked into him. But he does throw himself. It's an odd thing what Christians believe, what the Bible says. We have one God who's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. 
So there's always love, there's always communication, there's always planning forever and ever and eternity past before we were made. (laughs) But God knew when he made us, we'd fall. And you say, well, then why did he make us? Above our pay grade, folks. The answer is because it's best. But he also knew he was willing to do what it takes to make peace between us and God. He jumped in the middle. So that's why we have the text in Romans 5, 7 to 11 that says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners and under sinners, but while we were still at war with God, (laughs) Christ died for us. He died for his enemies. No, he died for his friends, the apostles. Those are his enemies. He made friends of them. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more will we be saved by him from the wrath or anger of God. For if while we were enemies, what's the Bible say we were? Enemies, enemies of God. Enemies, if you're in a fight with God, you lose. We were reconciled to God. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled. Someone made peace between the warring parties. How? By the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We know we get, that's future, right? Future resurrection, future in heaven. We're enemies who've been made friends. And it's not because we dialogued. People think dialogue today, you know, we can solve everything through dialogue. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. Because... You can dialogue with people who diametrically oppose each other and they can agree where they disagree and hate each other. Well, one thing we agree on is you're evil. No, I agree you're evil. And that's as far as you can get. And also dialogue makes you think both sides must be equally valid or... No, we're completely wrong. He's completely right. There's only one way to reconcile. Someone's got to pay our debt! Because God is demanding and severe. Someone must pay the debt. Who's going to pay it? None of you people are qualified. So God says, I will pay it myself. And he comes down as a man, an innocent man, goes to a cross and goes, boom, there. There's your peace. I paid the debt myself. We're reconciled by the death of his son. Well, if that's true, imagine what the future is going to hold, he says. Much more than that, we also rejoice, look what this says, in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Communion, the Last Supper. It's called the Last Supper, not just because it's the last time they ate with Jesus before he died, but Jesus infused meaning into it. In other words, if they had just had some crackers, you know, some snack bars and went on. He wouldn't tell, we wouldn't even get a detail of that. Jesus said, see this bread? It's my body broken for you. They're like, what's he talking about? I don't know, let's eat. See this cup? It's the wine of the New Testament. (laughs) It's for you. It's a new covenant. It's just wine. He didn't know. They didn't know. This Bible here says we are justified by his Blood. Justified means made innocent by his dying for us. You, my friends, 
sons and daughters of God by faith, have made innocent by his blood. If you have not received Christ, you are still an enemy of God, but you can change that by faith in Christ, whose blood can justify you. So communion, if you will, the bread and the cup represent his body and blood. That's the peace treaty. It's a peace treaty. The the, the war is about to come to an end. (laughs) It started when Adam and Eve fell. Men rebelled against God, and that war carried on for thousands of years until that night Jesus says, I've written a peace treaty. Now, it's not on paper. It's going to be in my body. And the, the... This is why when the Bible says we're to do communion, we declare the Lord's death till he comes. This week is Easter week, um, the Holy Week, Maundy Thursday. Maundy means mandate, by the way. Why? You can look it up. It's a homework just for fun. Why is it called Mandate Thursday? That's a celebration of that moment. That's why we should all, if we can, come to church on Maundy Thursday because it's the time we declare the peace treaty between us and God together as a body. Peace between men and men. We've received reconciliation. We want to bring peace between men and men. But better still, between men and God. We should be like Abigail, stopping humans from fighting. Better still. Better still if we can be like Paul, who stopped humans from fighting God. Look what 2 Corinthians says about us as Christians. Paul is speaking of himself and those who work with him, but it translates to all of us. It says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, what's it say? The ministry of reconciliation. Christ gave to you and me, the church, a ministry, something to do. Uh, Churches often... Uh, people will go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church, never participate, never get involved, never get to know people, never bring people in, never do anything, get sick, go to the hospital, nobody knows, they go, no one even visited me, and quit. Serious, this happens all the time. Because they, I guess they think church is, is just you come and someone entertains you and washes your little toes and, and you just sit there and receive it like, it, like like you went to get your nails done. But that's not it. If you're here, you've been given a ministry. You've given a job. What is it? Reconciliation. Are you doing that job? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So that we've, we've covered that. Here's Paul saying it in another place, in 2 Corinthians. What God was doing through Christ wasn't just giving them a good teacher and all that stuff. He was actually saving the world and pulling them to him. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now it's your job. He's not here. Jesus ain't here. He's here in spirit, but that's an invisible guy. Invisible guys don't talk. You're here, right? Now he's entrusted you with the ministry he did. You don't have to do the heavy lifting. You don't have to die for someone's sins. He already did that. You don't have to be perfect. He already did that. You don't have to raise from the dead. He'll do that for you. You can't do that. But what you gotta do is you gotta say, okay, here's the baton. Jesus gave it to you. Now you go do what I did. Blessed are the peacemakers. for They shall be the children of God. Go do what I did. Look at this. Therefore, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. You ever think of yourself as that? Or do you think, well, I got to be good around my Christian folks. If they saw me at work, they'd know what a jerk I am. But hey, I agree with the Christians. That's not an ambassador. Ambassador always represents. He always re- That's what ambassadors do. They represent the nation that sent them. They represent the prime minister, the president that sent them. Our ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, she represented the president and our country. She did a good job, I think. Don't you? Okay. You're an ambassador for Christ. You represent to who? Everybody. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. Look at this. God making his appeal. How? Through us. Don't, don't leave it to the guys on TV. Some of them are all right. A lot of them say stupid, weird things. <laughs> we, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, ambassadors, we're really ambassadors in two ways. And, and you're going to have to trust me on this one just because of time. I don't have time to flesh all this out, but it's all in the New Testament. But the number one way is between faithful people and faithful people. We're to be like Abigail. She went to a faithful man and got him to do the right thing. She didn't bother with her husband. <laughs> that fool ain't going to send food. <laughs> she went to a faithful man. We, we have to be peacemakers with one another like Abigail. But the second is we need to not just be ambassadors to one another of Christ, but we need to be ambassadors to a lost world. God makes his appeal through us. When we come and worship him, we think about all the great things that God has done for us. We sing about how he died for us and how he's with us. But do you ever think about this? It's too good for just us. There's a whole world out there that's not reconciled to God. And we want to reach them all around the world, but a lot of them are right in your neighborhood right in your school, right at your job, right where you go to vacation at your timeshare, right in your own doggone house, unfortunately, sometimes. You have enemies of God. God wants to appeal to them, so he sent an ambassador. Who? Pastor Mike, you gonna come visit my school? No. (laughs) He's saying you. You. So the application for this is is a habit. It's a habit. It's a habit. To, to get this, to do what the word is telling us here is to make it a habit to think of yourself as a representative of Christ wherever you are. Right? You don't got to be perfect. Christ is in you. But you have to say, I'm his ambassador. That's why I'm here. If you're around Christians, you want to represent well. Come on, brothers, sisters. We know dad doesn't want us to behave like this. Let's behave like this. Let's do a good deed. When you're around the world, you can't be just like them. You got to say, listen, I want to tell you some good news. It's going to seem weird. And you might say, how do you do that? I, I, I want to do I don't know how to say the right thing. What if I say the wrong thing? Saying whatever's honest is good. Give me a one honest, sincere person trying to tell me about their faith, stumbling over their own tongue over a hundred seminarians who can give me a lecture. God works with you. You're the ambassador. 
So, but, but let me give you some more practical help than that. One, tell your own story. You got a story. It can be exciting. It can be boring. My mom always took us to church. It always sounded right. I received Christ when my mom asked me to. My parents love Jesus, and it's been great. Or it could be, for years I wandered deep in sin. I was laying in the gutter, and you know, some guy, it could be, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It's your story. It always has the same hero, Jesus. The second is go to church. You might be saying, why are you saying go to church? We're at church. You're not at church much. We're an uncommitted culture. So, I don't know what would happen if Harvest, if everyone who calls Harvest their church home was actually a church. The average nationally is 1.7 times per month that Christians go to church. Okay, that, that, this is when we come together, according to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, to, to meet weekly, at least, is the habit of the church from day one. They got it from the Jews who did it for thousands of years. They were Jews. Now they have a Savior. And yet, I see families who don't understand the simplicity. If you want to be an ambassador for Christ, you have to come to the ambassador meetings and be grown and grow with others. You just go to church. Make it a rule. Your kid is not going to be a star in that sport. No, he's not Sid Crosby. He's just Lou. He can't play every sport. What do you teach a kid? If they're missing church constantly. Heck, at Harvest, you can come Friday night, you can come Sunday morning, and you can come Sunday night. Unless it's not a priority. Unless you're not really an ambassador for Christ. You're just going to get your nails done. You know, I have time to get my nails done this week. That'll be good. I love getting my nails. I always feel good when I leave Harvest and my nails are done. This week I don't have time for my nails. No, I know you don't have time. I'm going to camp, right? Yeah, I'm going to camp. They got a church up there. Yeah, I don't like it when they do my nails. I like them done at harvest. So we're just not going to go. This is the oldest habit of God's people. You meet once a week. And it's the minimum. Do it. <laughs> do it. Teach your children to do it if you have them. Trust me, the heroes who grow up, I've seen in this church after being here 14 years, kids grow up, walk with Christ. They're my heroes. Actually, it's their parents who are my heroes. They didn't get that commitment because their parents gave them an excuse to not worship God every week. Second, this is going to be easy. Invite other people to church. Another stat, only 5% of the people of Christians ever successfully, they think, witness to a person that they, and, and they get saved. I'm not going to worry. We're making it too hard. The best way to attract one of God's children is bring him to a family meeting. He'll know his own. When he hears his shepherd's word, he'll go, wait a minute. The number one way 
people come to Christ as invitations to church. That's also a statistic that's true. You may stumble as you try to tell your friend about Jesus. What are you trying to say? Have you been washed in the blood? They're like, that is the grossest thing you've ever said to me, Maggie. Just trying to do what the Bible says. Have you been, like, saved? Yeah, I, I was. I was falling. My husband, no, 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 no that, not. I'm trying to tell you good news. What good news? You're going to hell. This isn't working. So if that's you, just say, how about this? Want to come to church with me? I think you'll like it. Come on, it won't be anything you expect. And if they come here, it won't be. And then I'll take you to lunch. That's simple. Look, God has reconciled the whole world. He crossed the world. We are surrounded by the lost. You are the ambassador. God is making his appeal through you. Through us, you as plural. We can work together on this. We'll tag team. We'll tag team. Some of you might have been invited today and you're not a Christian and you wonder what's happening. We're tag teaming. They got you in the ring. You're starting to get the upper hand. So they tag my hand. I jump off the turnbuckle with a flying elbow smash and bam, you get the gospel. <laughs> if you've never watched professional wrestling, forget I said that, but <laughs> don't forget this. You're sitting in a room full of people who are enemies of God, who've been made friends of God by faith in Christ. Would you please come and join us? Would you become one of us by getting to know our Father, asking Jesus to come into your heart? He died for you. Your sins can all be forgiven. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.